and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Church has been online for 10 weeks now. Has Jesus been any of sustainer, life, shepherd, treasure, and or peace for you? Lead teacher Jeff Norris finishes the series, Fear Not, Trusting Christ in the Midst of Crisis, with the second part of this sermon entitled, Jesus is Our Treasure and Peace, which covers Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Luke chapter 12, verses 32 to 34, and Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. For this morning, let's continue this thought of treasure, this truth that Jesus is our treasure. Last week, I kind of set this up by saying that we, uh, even as kids, we long, kind of we have these dreams, these fantasies about finding buried treasure, but how that doesn't necessarily change as we get older. The heart longings are the same. We still long to find treasure, but it just maybe looks different than finding something that's in the ground that we dig up, a, a buried chest from pirates of years gone by, whatever it looked like for us in our dreams as a kid. Now it's more in socially acceptable ways, but we still long for treasure. We still want there to be something that we could stumble upon, that we could find that would do for us what seemingly nothing else in life has been able to do to this point to take away our fears and anxieties, to take away our troubles, to give us a sense of security, to give us purpose, to give us meaning, to give us satisfaction at levels that, that we just constantly feel uh, is never quite met in the things of this world. And so last week, as we got into that, I wanted to give you the kind of the main big idea, the main thought behind or theme behind this sermon. And this is what I told you. I said that as worldly treasures come and go, an unworldly treasure exists, whose riches are endless and in whom are, fo- are found pleasures forevermore. And that language is kind of coming from Psalm 16, where in verse 11, where David says that, He says that in your presence is fullness of joy and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on this earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but you, O God, are the strength of my heart and my portion forever, my treasure forever, the one in whom I find my meaning and purpose, my life, the one of great worth and value. And so we just gave this simple truth as kind of the overarching big, big idea of this sermon, which is this, uh, the treasure that we long for. Quite simply, the treasure that we long for is Jesus and his kingdom. That's it. That's as clear as it can possibly be that we see in the scriptures time and again, Jesus and his kingdom. He is the treasure. His kingdom within us, his spirit dwelling within us through faith in him as our Savior and our Lord. He is the only one that gives what we long for. So we looked at Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, key words, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus is the treasure of the field. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is what we long for and what we live 
in as followers of Christ, a very unique and different kingdom from what the world offers us. And so I began to give you three things last week, and we just hit the first one, but three truths about treasure, three things that we need to sit in that are true about the treasures that we seek. The first one I gave you last week, I'll just recap quickly, is there is fake treasure that we need to resist and to reject. And so these are things that are blatantly sinful that we have become convinced in our unbelief, in our distraction, in the various ways in which these things present themselves to us, we fall and pray to the temptation that they are actual real treasure when in the end we experience them to not be that at all. They are diminishing returns. The more that we invest in them, the more time we give to them, the more energy that we place in them, all of that sucks us dry. These are things that, as uh, I define them, are things that we are convinced give us life, but in the end take life from us. And so we talked about things like sexual sin and how it promises so much yet delivers so very little. We talked about substance abuse. One of the things I didn't mention that I meant to mention is things that are so common in our everyday experiences that we probably don't even recognize as sin oftentimes, but absolutely suck us dry of a life that Christ gives us. And those are things like gossip and slander, how we try to build ourselves up by tearing others down, things that the world does all around us. We see it all the time on social media. We see it all the time in conversations that we have with one another. We'll even do it through ways that are socially acceptable, but at the end of the day, it's nothing more than pride and insecurity manifested in verbal attacks on other people in socially acceptable ways that make us feel better about ourselves. So we're identifying ourselves in how we can cause others to experience loss with reputation, whatever it may be, so that we may feel better about ourselves. And that is nothing more than a false treasure. I gave you an illustration that's a little crude, but you're not going to forget it. It's this, it's that these false treasures, what they are is they're chocolate-covered manure. They look so good. You just want to take and eat of them because it looks like chocolate. But as you begin to eat more of it, you realize this is not chocolate at all. This is something that is actually toxic to me. And so there's false treasure to identify, to see, to understand, to, to wrap our minds around and our hearts around. This is not what it appears to be, and it's killing me. And we have to reject those things, resist and reject those things. Here's the second truth that I want us to know about treasure, though. There are real treasures to be stewarded, things that really are significant and key parts of how God has designed life to be here on this earth, to be treasured. The way I would define this is to say this, th these are things in this life that are of great value. Here's the key though. But when misappropriated and overvalued, they become life takers rather than life givers. So these are things like our children, money, Jobs, relationships, things that are good, things that are gifts from God, blessings from God, but not things to hold of ultimate value. Certainly they have value that we cherish, 
but not ultimate value. And when we begin to replace those things in a way to, to position those things with ultimate value, they actually begin to do damage to our hearts rather than give life. One way to say it is this. These are blessings from God that have taken the place of God. Blessings from God that have taken the place of God. We, I could not even begin to describe to you how much I love my children. But we live in a society that worships what our children want. And we as parents, we will give, we often fall prey to giving our children what they want rather than what they need. Why? Because we worship them. Because they're our God. Because we're trying to find our identity through their life, through their well-being, through their success, through what they accomplish. And it's just a, it's a false God that we have not stewarded well. It's a blessing that we've allowed to become a treasure, a treasure of infinite value. We do the same thing with money. Money begins to control our lives in ways to where we crave it more than what is healthy. We look into it and for it in ways that we think it's going to give us what it ultimately can't. We do it with jobs. We do it with relationships. I spoke to that last week of how we try to identify and define ourselves and how others look at us, speak to us. We get so caught up in the opinions and views of others that we cease to be able to define ourselves apart from them rather than being able to find our secure identity and defining of who we are as children of God in his image, redeemed by Christ in his blood. There are great treasures out there that are to be stewarded, to be used, to be honored, but they were never meant to be our God's. Oftentimes, fear permeates our hearts, grips us because of the very fact that we are taking something that is a blessing, a treasure to be stewarded by God, and we have caused it and lifted it up to be ultimate. And when that thing begins to be taken from us, whatever it may be, we crumble in fear. Because God is not the one who is our steady, steadfast rock in salvation. He's not the one who is our refuge. Our kids are our refuge. Our job is our refuge. Our money is our refuge. This relationship is our refuge. And when that crumbles, we crumble. So we have to recognize that. We have to see the posture of our hearts and how quickly we do that. And I do it. We all do it. And we we ask, oh God, would you show me the ways in which I have let a blessing become an ultimate treasure in your place? And so it leads us to the third one, the third truth of treasure. This is where I want to spend the rest of our time. And it's what you would think I would say, because it's the truth that we need to hear this morning. And it's simply this, that, it, that there is a, an ultimate treasure, a supreme treasure to value above all. This is Jesus and his kingdom. This is the reality that when valued above all other things, when Jesus and his kingdom are valued above all other things, our lesser true treasures take on appropriate value. Everything falls into its proper place of 
of worship and value and how we're defined and whatnot, when we see Jesus and see and savor him, as John Piper often says, as our supreme treasure. This is how Luke, I read this last week, but this is how Luke chapter 12, 32 and 30 through 34 says, this is Jesus's teaching. He says, fear not little flock. I love that phrase. It's the only time that we see that phrase from Jesus in the gospels. It takes us back to what we walked in two weeks ago is Jesus is our shepherd. We are the sheep of his flock. Listen to what he says. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I want you to think back. If you remember, if you didn't go back and listen, but remember the illustration that, of how we're sheep and the, the green pastures that Jesus leads us into, that God leads us into, is actually him. He's the, the verdant pasture, the green pasture that we so long for. But what is it? What are we so prone to do? As the great hymn says, we're prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. We are prone to leave the God I love. And so we talked about this sheep, that this true story of a sheep there uh, from Philip Keller, who was a shepherd in the Middle East for many years. And he had this sheep that would continually get beyond the fence, figure out a way to get outside of the fence because that sheep was convinced there was better pasture out there. And there never was. And this lamb was so confused, this sheep was so confused that the, the brown barren ground outside of the fence was somehow in that little lamb's mind better than the green pasture that the shepherd had given. And that's so true of us. We struggle to see the value in the pasture that we're in, namely Jesus as our good shepherd, as, as the one who has given us himself the great glorious one, the one of infinite value. He's given to us, not just to see and behold, but to experience a personal relationship with, to possess, if you will, in the language of Matthew 13, 44, that in his joy, he went and sold all that he had to possess the field and have the treasure. And there's similar language here. Jesus says again in Luke 12, he says, so what do we do? When we recognize that it's God's good pleasure to give us Jesus and his kingdom and that that's the best thing that we could ever have, the most worthy, valuable thing we could ever possess. What do we do? Well, he says, sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that do not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now listen, this does not mean that every single follower of Christ needs to sell everything we own. If that were the case, there would be no way to support the church. That would be a, a problem in its own self. But what is Jesus getting at here? He's saying, uh, how do you see your possessions? Are you willing, if I were to call you to that, are you willing to hold everything that you have, everything that God has blessed you with, with an open hand, not with a tight fist grip, but an open hand to say, Jesus, it's all yours anyway. Take what you want from it. I'll steward it to you in, in whatever way you call me to. And I will not be owned or defined by these things. I will only be owned and defined by you, the valuable, infinite treasure that you are. I love how 
what's getting at here is, is what's going on at the heart level. I love how William Hendrickson, one of my favorite commentators of the scriptures, he says this, what Jesus is saying is that believers must differ in their inner yearnings, must set their hearts on different things, must be controlled by different ideals, and must be motivated by a different love. What, what's happening with us at this level? What's going on at the heart level? What drives us? What compels us to live the way that we do? Is it unique? Is it different? Part of what Jesus is saying here in Luke 12 is that if you are gonna be uh, in my kingdom, if I, Jesus is saying, if I'm gonna be your treasure, things will be different in how we operate in this life compared to the world around us. We won't fear the same things that the world around us fears. We won't value the same things that the world around us values. There will be a uniqueness to us, differentiating us because we're a part of a new kingdom that runs countercultural, countercurrent to the world around us. This is what Hendrickson goes on to say. He says, when church members hardly differ at all from outsiders in the amb ambitions they cherish, and the goals they try to achieve, and the manner in which they react to the disappointments and adversities in life, and the way they conduct their social events and parties, and the kind of literature they prefer to read, and the songs they prefer to sing, and their choice of friends with whom they feel at home, etc., there is something very wrong. And what is very wrong is what's, what's treasured here. The very core of who we are, what we most treasure will come out. That's what Jesus says right here in Luke 12. He says, uh, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens. An unseen treasure, a treasure that if, if Jesus is appropriately valued in our lives, the world's gonna look at us and go, you're weird, you're different, you're you're strange. You're valuing something that you can't even see or touch or feel or smell. What, what's up with you? Jesus goes on to say, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Times of crisis tend to reveal the treasures of our hearts. In a unique way and in really profound ways. Things begin to surface in hard times and adversity and crisis that we wouldn't normally see. Beginning to show us what we most value, what we most treasure. I've, I've told this story many times before, but it just fits so well. I, I'll tell it again. Many of you maybe have not heard it if you're new with us. But uh, for those who are, uh, just uh, flatter me for a moment, uh, those who have heard this before. But it hopefully will still resonate. I, I just have this vivid memory. I think of it often of when my son was, when Samuel was little, five years old, and we were reading Matthew 13, 44, and I go into preacher mode, and I start talking with great passion to him about how Jesus and his kingdom is the treasure that we long for. And the short of the story, I won't give you all the details, but the short of the story is this. The, the longer I talked and the more passion I spoke with about Jesus and the great valuable treasure that he is and how we were made for him and we, will re we won't rest until we find our identity, our hope, our value in him. Uh, Samuel, his eyes got bigger, his mouth began to open more, and I felt like it was connecting in a way that uh, I had never connected with him before on a spiritual level. 
And the more I talked, the, the wider his eyes got. And then finally, when I had finished the crescendo, the main point of my little sermonette to my son, he says, yeah, dad. You know what I treasure? And I'm just waiting for him to say, Jesus. This was the moment where he saw the value of Jesus. I said, what, bud? And he pauses and he says, a big truck. And for a moment, just a split second, it was a downer. It was just a wah, wah, wah. But very quickly, I actually smiled and I hugged him. And I said, Samuel, you don't know how right you are. And I said, me too. It's not a big truck for me, but there's all kinds of big trucks in my life that are constantly vying for my worship, for my attention to value more than the supreme value of Jesus. And I've always remembered that because that is the nature of the human heart that we, for those who are followers of Christ, we have tasted and have partaken of the value of Christ, the treasure that he is. But we still so quickly fall prey to the temptation of the various things that are out there, both good treasures to steward and false treasures to resist and reject. And we just keep coming back to that place of realizing nothing carries the value and the worth and the glory of Jesus. I mean, think about Jesus, his sacrifice unthinkable, his grace immeasurable, his love inconceivable that he would love us the way that he does, his glory, his renown, his splendor unimaginable. This Jesus, the God of the universe, has made himself known. But here's something I want to tell you. I said something last week that in my effort to state with emphasis the treasure that Jesus is, I overstated something else. And I want to come back to that and pull back the reins just a little bit. I made a statement. I said, he is the treasure. We're not. We're not the treasure. And that's true in the sense that, it, it, that he is the treasure that we long for. And yes, in our sin and in our depravity and our rebellion against him and all the ways that we've spit in his face and rejected him and wanted things other than him, yeah, there's, there's, there's this reality that, that we're not the treasure, that we shouldn't be valued because of what sin has done to us and the way that it has marred us and broken us beyond repair, but Jesus he repairs us and he doesn't just repair us, he renews us and he doesn't just renew us, he redeems us, but he doesn't just redeem us. He actually sets us on a path in a new reality, in a new identity to where we are not some broken, cast aside, sinful reject. We are treasured by him. I love this from Michael Reeves. You, you've got you to read this with me. From his book, Rejoicing in Christ, a little bit of a lengthy quote here, but 
It says this, the gorgeous truth of the marriage between the risen Christ and his people is that the new life we are given with him is no cold contractual affair. We are not brought to be mere uh, acceptable serves of a benevolent autocrat. No, listen, Christ treasures his bride, his church, his people. He treasures us. Isaiah 62, God's people are told, you will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah, which means my delight is in her and your land Beulah, which means married. For the Lord will take delight in you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. So will your God rejoice over you. He's pointing to a day when his people will be valued and treasured in a way that we can only dream of because of the finished work of Jesus. Because our sin has been dealt with, our old nature has been dealt with for those who believe upon Christ. And that is no longer what defines us. We are now defined. We are now present. We are now seen, embodied, united with Jesus. And because he's the treasure, now he lives in us and we are treasure. Listen to what Michael Reeve says. He says, his people are described as a crown, a precious treasure, a reward and sign of honor, just like a beloved wife who is the crown of her husband, And astonishingly, she is not some odious charity case for him. Listen, I love this. Let this hit you. She makes his pupils dilate and his heart sing. He delights in her and will not stop. She is truly, deeply, passionately loved. What is it you and I most long for? I think especially in seasons like we've been in, I think I can make an argument that what you and I most long for is peace. There's two things that we must know that we know that we know. That when we know When we know these things, when we rest in them, when we trust these truths, peace comes. The first one is this. When we know that we know that we know that he is the treasure of this life. And the second, when we know that we know that we know that we are the treasure of his heart. When we know that he is the treasure of this life and that we are the treasure of his heart through Jesus and our new life in him, peace floods our hearts. Jesus said in John 14, 27, he said, peace I give to you, peace I leave with you. I do not give as the world gives. And then he said this, let your hearts, let let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. Has fear gripped you during this season, during this time in life? Maybe it's because of COVID. Maybe it's because of all kinds of other issues you're facing. There is peace. And it's found in the treasure of Jesus. 
reorienting our lives through faith in him that we begin to see how treasured we are as his beloved bride. Do you know this, Jesus? Philippians 3.8 says this. I'll close with this. It says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. Underline those two words, highlight those two words, circle those two words, star those two words. Whatever your thing is of what, what you do with your Bible, those two words are huge. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In order that he would be my treasure. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace that you speak to us through your word, that you assure us of your love for us, that you reveal to us the great treasure that you are. Lord, we're reminded of the words that, of scripture from 1 Corinthians 4 that just tell us that, that through you, O oh Jesus, we have seen the glory of God, And when we behold your glory in the face of Jesus Christ, we are transformed. We're made new as we see your value, the surpassing worth of who you are, Christ. Would you do a work in us, O oh Lord? We ask you, we invite you to expose in us in fresh ways, in ways that are going to be painful, but in ways that we need, that we may see the false treasures that we've believed and trusted in, that we may see the good, true treasures that we have valued in unhealthy ways that have become our God. And Lord, would you, by your grace, center us on you as our treasure. And in so doing, oh Lord, would you bring peace. You, oh Jesus, are the Prince of Peace. Would you come? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.